Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Forget the Funnel. This week, we have April Dunford, which I'm so excited, and we're always excited for all of our guests, but uh, April holds a particularly warm place, and I know I speak for both Claire and I when I say in our hearts. Um, April is like one of the OGs in this space, in SaaS, in startups, in marketing. Um, yeah, she's been doing this for a long time, uh, has a ton of street cred, has been a founder, she's a keynote speaker, she's a consultant, uh, author, she is uh, prolific in this space. So to have her come on is like a true honor, honestly. Um, how to build a SaaS marketing system sounds like this like big, um, how could you possibly tackle a topic this big? But uh, if anybody can do it, it's definitely April. So April, I'm gonna let you take it away and uh, talk to us about this SaaS marketing system of yours. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, it's really good to be here. Um, yeah, you know, this does sound like a big topic, but don't worry, it's not scary. And in fact, this is a, this, I, I built this originally as a workshop um, for a, a, a group of junior marketing people that were all working at startups. Um, and it was organized by an accelerator that I'm an entrepreneur in residence for. And the idea was, it was kind of like, this is the kind of big picture stuff I wish I knew when I started. And, and, and it gave me this idea for this. So hopefully this makes sense and you enjoy it, but we'll see how it goes. Um, so uh, when I started um, and got my first couple of jobs in marketing at a startup, I spent a lot of time asking people for advice. So I would go to senior marketing people and I would say, hey, uh, how should I market my startup? And what I came to the conclusion was um, asking somebody like, how should I market my startup? It's a bit like asking me, where should I go buy shoes? So if you were to come to me right now and say, hey, April, uh, I live in Toronto. Where should I buy shoes? I'll say, you know where you need to buy shoes? You need to buy shoes at Holt Renfrew. It's fantastic. I work with this guy, Joey. He will recommend you the most perfect pair of shoes. And then you'll come back to me and say, Paul Renfrew sounds kind of expensive, April. Are those shoes expensive? And I'll say, oh God, yeah, so expensive, super expensive, <laughs> the most expensive shoes, but they're totally worth it. You should buy them there. And then you'll say, well, I don't want expensive shoes. Uh, in fact, I'm looking for hiking boots. And I'll say, oh, hiking boots. Why didn't you say hiking boots? And then I give you a completely different recommendation. And so my advice is, um, is based on a set of assumptions I make about you know the style and your budget and why you need the shoes in the first place. Marketing advice is the same thing. So people will say, um, you know, they'll give, they'll say, oh, you must do Facebook ads or you must do some particular tactic that they love. Um, but there's a bunch of assumptions baked into that, like who's my target market, how do they behave, um, what your sales process is, what your offering is, how competitive your market is. And so what you'll end up getting is a bunch of really bad advice. Um, making that situation even worse is when you say marketing, like nobody can agree on a definition of marketing. So sometimes when you say marketing, people will assume you're talking about branding or lead generation or social media or content or events. It could be any of these things. And so, um, you know, there's this expression, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, and so if you talk to PR folks, everything is a PR solvable problem. If you talk to branding folks, everything is a branding solvable problem. Um, and, and, and then, you know, just for your own knowledge, whenever you're listening to these sessions and everything else, you should do your homework on the people who are giving them because, you know, we're full of biases too. So my background is, B2B, most of the companies I've worked for have had a complex sales cycle, so there's been salespeople involved, at least inside sales. Um, most of my work has been very uh, lead generation or revenue, you know, direct line to revenue focused. Um, because I've worked mainly in B2B, I've got this bias that I think branding is stupid and not really important. Um, and so those are all my biases. So what you're gonna see here is kind of colored by that. Um, but so here's what I mean by a marketing system. So one of the things that really puzzled me in my early days of my career is um, there seem to be easy things and hard things in marketing. And so 
the easy things were things that I could basically Google an answer to. So, you know, if you were to come and ask me, like, how do I do a good job running Facebook ads? I'll say, look, I'm not a Facebook ads expert, but there are plenty of those around and I will recommend a handful of people that are experts on that stuff. Or they'll say, you know, how do I fix my SEO? And I'll say, oh my gosh, I know four SEO experts and they've written all kinds of stuff about this. And you can Google ultimate guide to SEO, blah, blah, blah. And you will get yourself a great big guidebook that'll tell you exactly how to do this. The problem is, that there are a set of questions that are fundamental to building your marketing plan that Google cannot answer for you. So Google can't tell you what's the best way to reach my target audience, or if I'm taking these tactics, how do I tailor them for my business? Or is there a better way to reach my audience than the tactics that I'm doing right now? And so this got me thinking about, you know, how do we figure this stuff out? Um, and I'll give you an example. So I got a, I got a job. This was kind of mid, midway through my career. And um, I had some friends who were venture capitalists, and they invited me to do a six-month project as a temporary VP of marketing for a company that had just raised some money for them. So I met with the CEO and he said, look, April, what we need is we need a marketing plan and the marketing plan should be, uh, you know, aimed at a bunch of tactics aimed at our target market. And I said, that's great. What's your target market? And he said, fortune 500 companies. Oh no. <laughs> and I said, awesome. Fortune 500 companies. So what you just write down a list of 500 companies and then you just build a target account plan for each of those. He says, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, that can't be true. So I go and I spend some time with the head of development. Let's look at the product, what we've got. And what this thing is, is it's a solution for um, business analysts that are defining large, you know, in-house built software projects. So then I go back to the CEO and I'm like, so you said Fortune 500 companies, but I'm seeing this thing that you do is like software for business analysts. Are you telling me like, if I'm a Fortune 500 company, I don't have any business analysts. Let's say I'm in gold exploration. Do I need this stuff? No. He says, you don't need those. Not those companies. Just take those off. And I said, and, you know, it's for business analysts. Like in tech companies, we don't have that. So do I take the tech companies off too? He says, yeah, yeah, take the tech companies off too. And I'm like, oh, okay, so, but if I was not Fortune 500, but I had like a lot of analysts and a real need for this thing, would you talk to me then? Yes. Yes, we would. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, shit. That, that, this doesn't seem like you're selling to Fortune 500 companies at all, right? So then I go back to development. I'm like, so basically you would need this software if you had a whole lot of business analysts and they were working on really complicated projects. Yes, yes. Okay, who has a whole lot of business analysts and works on complicated projects? Well, it turns out you do if you have... Um, Development teams that are distributed, like lots of them in different locations. That's one reason. Uh, and you usually get those um, through acquisition. So the only reason you have so much develop distributed development is because you acquired a bunch of companies and they're all in different places. So if you came and said to me, April, build a marketing campaign for Fortune 500 companies, I'd be like, dude, I don't know how to do that. Maybe I take out a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. Versus if you came to me and said, April, build me a marketing campaign for companies that do a lot of acquisitions, um, that's a completely different thing. In fact, it turns out there's a magazine called Acquisition Management. <laughs> and you can buy a full page ad and it's really cheap and it works really well. There are lawyers that specifically deal just with mergers and acquisitions where there's technical stuff. You can actually talk to those folks and they'll tell you a lot about their clients and who they are if you wanted to build a target account list. And so these things are completely different. So I started thinking like, how do we like think about this in a kind of more systematic way so that I'm not spending my time trying to build this, you know, marketing plan for fortune 500 companies when it turned out that was just a red herring. That's not what I should be doing at all. And so it, it occurred to me that most of what I had been doing up till this point, and I see a lot of, uh, marketing teams operating in this mode looks like what I'm calling the cycle of marketing meh, which, which kind of goes like this. And so it starts out with this idea 
that I say, well, you know, I got this new job and I'm at a startup and they say, build me a marketing plan. And I say, well, I don't know what tactics I should run. So I'll just look at what everyone else is doing. So I'll look at companies that look kind of like me and they'll say, oh, geez, you know, everyone else is running Google ads. Maybe I should run some Google ads or everyone else is doing content marketing. Maybe I should do some content marketing. And so I select some tactics and then I go out and I execute on them and I'm not a dummy. So I'm actually measuring whether or not they're working. Like we're all smart enough to do that now. And basically then I get to the results and I say, well, uh, the things that, work I'll keep those and but the things that don't work I'll just chuck those things out and, and to replace the ones I've chucked out I will go back to this fashion assessment and say okay that didn't work what's everybody doing and I pick a new thing now the problem with that is uh, you know once you've been doing it for a little while you feel the problem and the problem is one you're just kind of picking stuff out of the air and you're not sort of learning in the middle of this process. So if it fails, why did it fail? I don't know. There isn't a lot of thinking about why did it fail? I'm not really testing any assumptions in this process or tracking my assumptions. So I probably had a poor assumption that caused it to fail. I don't know. Cause if it was bad, I just threw it out and never thought about it again. Um, the second problem you have is that all tactics are created equal until proven otherwise. And I sometimes refer to this as the golf tournament problem. And the golf tournament problem goes like this. This actually happened to me. So I'm a vice president of marketing at this high tech startup and we got all this cool digital marketing stuff going and we're creating a bunch of leads and stuff. And my VP sales knocks on my door and he comes to my office and he says, look, April, all your marketing sucks. I know what you should do this quarter. You should run a, we should run a golf tournament. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Running a golf tournament? We're not running a golf tournament. We're just a legit digital marketing here. And he's like, no, you don't understand customers. Like I don't understand customers. We should run a golf tournament. And the crazy thing is, is I was like, no, that sucks. I have all these other things. And he says, no, golf tournament would work better. How do you know it wouldn't? We've never run one before. And I was a bit stumped at that. Cause I didn't really have an awesome answer for why we shouldn't spend And Oh, by the way, do you know how much it costs to run a golf tournament? Like a hundred grand or something. It's super expensive. Would have blown my whole budget. And the guy's sitting there in my office going, why not? Why not a golf tournament? Why not? Smarty pants marketer. How come we're not running a golf tournament? <laughs> and in this cycle, you got to test one to see if it works. Right. Cause they, you know, you got nothing but fashion assessment to go on at the starting point. The last thing is that there's no relationships between the tactics because you're picking them based on what other people are doing. You're not really building a full marketing plan. You're just kind of saying, I'm testing tactics and trying tactics and, you know, uh, throwing things together. And I got some tactics that I've been running for a while and some new one. And again, there's no way that these things all relate to each other. And so I started thinking, well, if we were doing this, and, and by the way, I, you know, when I started marketing, I have no background in marketing at all. I actually have a degree in systems design engineering. And so I kind of had this idea, like I'm a systems engineer and I should treat this like a system and systems have inputs and outputs and my inputs are shitty. Therefore my outputs are shitty. This is probably what my problem is, right? So I figured that fashion assessment was the thing getting me in trouble. So if I didn't do the fashion assessment, then how do I pick? And so um, I decided, okay, I need a marketing model. And in that marketing model, I need inputs. Those inputs will lead me to tactics. I need to figure out how I'm going to do operations and get the things done. I need metrics. And then most importantly, I need to sort of be able to analyze, analyze stuff at the end and decide were my inputs good or bad and how should I adjust my inputs. So that was kind of my starting point on this. And after doing this a bunch, I decided there's really only kind of three things that matter in terms of inputs. It's what, the characteristics of the solution, the characteristics of the target customer, and the target customer's preferred buying process. These are really the things. If you go back to my uh, example that I used at the beginning about this business analyst software, that's exactly what we ended up doing is like, well, what is this software? What are the solution characteristics? And then I'm talking about, well, what are the target customer characteristics? And then how do these folks like to buy? These are the three things you need to figure out. If you figure these three things out, then you can come up with a plan, you know, to put batch solution to target buyer and make the whole thing work. So if I think about solution characteristics, there's a handful of things. So um, the most important of those is 
I got to really get my arms around in the mind of the customer, what are the competitive alternatives? So I sell a thing. If my thing didn't exist, what would folks actually use instead? Now, sometimes the answer to that question is um, they would use Excel or they would use Word or they would hire an intern or um, in the worst case, the answer is they wouldn't do anything because they don't even really know they have this problem to solve. So they wouldn't even bother trying to solve it. So in which case I have this problem that I have to convince them that they have a problem. Um, and sometimes it's an actual competitor, right? Oh, if they didn't use our software, they'd use somebody else's software. And then you're going to say to yourself, okay, well, if that, those are the alternatives, then what's so great about my stuff? So I got this solution, and if they didn't use me, they'd do everything on paper. So I'm really competing with paper here. So I need to really get my arms around, well, you know, what are the unique attributes of my solution that make it way better than paper? And so if you're walking around talking about how the thing is so easy to use, you know, it's easy to use, Excel is easy to use, Word is easy to use, interns are really easy to use. <laughs> and so if those are your competitors, easy to use is not a thing, right? It has to have some other stuff that makes it compelling to buy. So that's the first thing. So I, I kind of figure out, okay, what's so compelling about my thing, right? And then what's the value that enables for customers? We, we tend to be pretty good at this, but sometimes we get we get lost on this competitive comparison thing. But first, so first I've got that. Here's the characteristics of my solution. Then I got the characteristic of my target buyer, which is where a lot of this tends to go off the rails. So like my example of the you know business analyst software, that guy had no clue who his target buyer was. Like he was basically doing this segmentation where he's saying, who has enough money to buy my super expensive shit, right? And it's like, well, just because you have enough money to buy the stuff doesn't mean you actually want the stuff or like the stuff or might pick the stuff. And that sounds so basic, but, um, sometimes we get so heads down in tactics, we have a hard time kind of pulling our heads up and saying, no, 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 no. let's forget look at what everybody else is doing. Who are my people? So let's think about your people. And if you're in a startup in particular, you don't just want anyone you could sell to. You have a limited budget. You have limited salespeople. You have almost no resources to get anything done. So, if you want to sell to people, you want to sell to the people that are the easiest to sell to. So the people that just intuitively understand what your product does, the people that are the most enthusiastic about your solution, the people that never ask you for discounts, the people that make super fast purchase decisions, um, the folks that never churn on you, the folks that are so happy after they get it, they recommend you. We get oftentimes focused on trying to sell to everybody, but if you really put a bracket around that and said, look, we're all gonna be dead if you don't close three deals by the end of the week, who are you gonna go sell to? Now explain to me how you pick those people. Now build a campaign for them. And that's actually what you need to do on this one. You need a profile of here's my perfect customer, my best customer. How you do that um, is, if you've got a bunch of businesses already closed already, you need to actually go and have phone calls with these people that you can't survey your way out of this shit because you won't know what questions to ask. Like what you're actually looking for is some people think your stuff is fine. It's good. I like it. Yeah, April, it's all right. And some people are like, you know, you will pry this out of my cold, dead fingers. Never take this thing from me. It is, I love this thing so much. And, and sometimes what you'll say is, geez, I got five customers like that. And none of, they don't look like, they don't look alike at all. There are different industries, they're different sizes. And you got to look for the patterns. There's something in common about those customers that makes them love your thing. So sometimes it's easy and it's firmographic stuff, right? Certain industry likes our stuff, certain size of company likes our stuff. Um, but sometimes it's not that at all. Sometimes it's if you are a company that has this other software, you love our stuff. Or if you're another company that has this buying process, you love our stuff. Or if you're a company that has this software plus this thing, plus you're broke, plus you have more than the X number of people in this department, then you love our stuff. It's your job to figure this out. Once you figure this out, the world is your kingdom after this, but it is often quite hard to do it. And you literally cannot do it without getting on the phone and like talking to these people and saying, 
yeah, you love us. How come you love us so much, man? Like, what's going on over there? Like, you know, when, like, what were you doing before? And what happened that made you trigger to go and like look for us? And why are we so great? You need to actually figure that out. And it's hard to do. People will try to survey and do multiple choice questions and all this stuff. I forget it. You'll never get anything with that. Like, trust me, ever, never get anything with that. Whereas you can talk to 10 customers and you'll start to see it. You'll be like, ah, now I get it. And, you, and you'll see it. So um, it's kind of like doing customer discovery, if you know what that is from Lean Startup. But it's different than a sales call. You have to kind of get in and say, okay, um, I got a hypothesis about why these folks, you know, love me. And then I got to do a bunch of interviews and sort of say, you know, how, you know, do, do you guys understand what this thing is about? Why do you love it so much? And, you know, what, you know, and that sort of stuff. And it's, it's very different from a, you know, I want you to be a customer reference kind of a call where you're like, hey, you love us, tell us how you use us, whatever. What you're trying to get at is what makes them different from the people that are just sort of like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, maybe we'll churn next month, maybe we won't, I don't know. Like, it's okay, it's all right. But the people that are so enthusiastic, you're like, why is that? Why is that? Why are you so weird? Like, how come you are like, why are you so excited about this thing and other people are just whatever? And you're trying to get right at the very nut of that. Um, here's another example, again, from my own long history of doing startup stuff. Um, so I got, I got hired to be VP marketing for this company. And what we had was, uh, uh um, essentially a database that lets you do analysis on a giant mountain of data, super, super fast. So we had, the thing was created by PhDs and we had patents and we did this fudgy logic thing. It doesn't matter. Anyways, what this thing did was analysis on a giant amount of data. Then if you used a normal database, it would take hours, but with ours, it took minutes. And so we made this hypothesis where we said, okay, if you have a giant amount of data, you want this shit. Because, like, who doesn't want to do a faster query, right? And then it turns out nobody wants to do a faster query. Like, we go out and we have these conversations and we're like, hey, you've got, like, 19 billion terabytes of data and I see you're running this query that takes eight hours. Wouldn't you like a, some software that would do that in three minutes? And nine companies out of ten we talked to, they said, nah, we only run that query once a week, so we just do it on Saturdays when no one's in the office, no big deal. Yeah, you can run it faster, but it doesn't make any difference to my business. And then one guy out of 10 would say, oh my God, I'm dying. If you could do that thing in a minute, I'm freaking out. I need that thing so much. And so we're like, what's the difference? Like you both have a giant amount of data. So obviously giant amount of data, yes, you need to have that in order for you to be on my target account list, but that was insufficient. Just because you have a giant amount of data doesn't mean you need my thing. So, so then we start talking to the guys that are all excited. So we're like, okay, so you love this thing and you need it in a minute. And the other guys are okay with eight hours. Why do you need it in a minute? So, well, um, we need it because customers call and they ask us a question and we can't answer it on the phone. We have to call them back tomorrow. Uh. So then it was like, okay, so if you have a giant amount of data and you actually do analysis on that data for customer support, then you need our stuff. And again, that's a completely different market. That's a completely different target account set. That's a completely different way I build a marketing plan around that. So having that insight was actually the key to everything. And then you started asking the question like, who actually does that? And the market got really specific. It was like the, the people that had the most giant pain around that were online advertising companies. And so that's easy. I could make a list of those folks and I can go get them. Whereas what we were doing previously was trying to figure out who had a giant amount of data and we're trying to market at all those people. Instead, we're like, forget all those people. Let's just do people in this industry because we know they have the pain and they're going to freak out when we tell them we got a solution. Last bit on the input stuff is the buying process. So uh, you're all marketing people, so you know how this works. Um, the, uh, the, the big thing that messes us up, I think, in, particularly in B2B where we have um, salespeople, is we confuse our sales process with a customer buying process. And those two things are different. 
So uh, the way we like to sell people at our stages of a deal kind of sales thing often looks not a lot like um, stages of a buy <laughs> from the inside the mind of a customer. Um, and so you kind of have to get your head around where are people in the stages of a buy so that you're doing the appropriate things from a marketing standpoint when you're building your plan of tactics. So you know, nobody believes in a funnel anymore. <laughs> and so, and this isn't really a funnel, but this is more just kind of like a, um, a mental model for thinking about this, right? So at any given time, uh, if I'm thinking about buying something, particularly if it's a bit complicated, uh, I can be anywhere along this sort of buying process. And so the example I usually use here is uh, my mother, uh, and smartphones. So, you know, on the far left, we have this kind of state where it's like, I don't have a problem. Everything's good. I'm in the no need phase. So this was like my mother. I come home with my Blackberry. That's how old I am. So I come home with a Blackberry and I'm like, hey, mom, I've got this thing. It's fantastic. You can do your email on it. And she's like, what's email? <laughs> And that was that. She doesn't have a need for this thing. She's just fine. She's going to stay over in this bucket forever. And then what happened is, you know, phones got better, smartphones got better. And then I came home and I, and I kept coming home with new stuff. Hey, mom, I can surf the web on my phone. She's like, why would I ever want to do that? And hey, mom, you know, you're like, and so one day I came home and said, hey, mom, I can Facebook on this thing. And she's like, very interesting. <laughs> and so then she was kind of like, mm hmm, and she moved into the next thing, which I call sort of need, like, oh, I kind of need one of those things. Now, she sat there for a good two, three years where she was like, I wouldn't mind having one of thing, those things, but ugh, they're too complicated, they're too expensive, I don't want a data plan, or, nah, it's too hard, not going to do it. And she sat in the need bucket forever. And then eventually what happened is her sisters, my aunts, got smartphones, and they were like, Mary, we need to text message you. And she's like, okay, fine, I'm getting a phone, fine. And then she went into the eval stage, which was, now I got to know what phone. And then she's calling me up. Should I get one of these iPhone things or should I get one of those Android things? I don't even know what an Android thing is. Like, tell me what to buy. And so she goes into this, like, I got to figure it out. And then she sat there for a year where she's like, I can't, I just can't figure out which one I want. And this feels like such a big decision and whatever. And then, and so she sat in eval forever. Then she finally moved to buy and she walked into the Bell store or something. And the guy was a jerk to her and she left. And never came back for six months. So the buy phase, in the case of my mother and a smartphone, lasted for six months, where she's like, uh, you know, I can't, I can't actually buy the thing. I'm buying a phone, but the buying took like six months. And then she finally got one, and it was a nightmare because she couldn't use it, and she didn't know how to do anything. And so it took her a long time to actually move from buy to enjoy, where she's using the thing, and she knows that she likes it and whatever. And then the next phase after that is I, like, refer and renew. Now, the reason I'm going into this long example is... For your market and your stuff that you're selling, um, it, your folks are going to start somewhere depending on the maturity of your market. And there are things that will accelerate them through this process and there are things that will jam them up. So in the first stage where you're in the no need, like the thing that jams you up is I don't even get the value of this thing. I, what I'm doing now is fine. Right. But what speeds you up is, you know, I understand the cost of not solving this problem and I understand the benefit I'm going to get if I do solve it. Then I get into need, but needs the same thing. Right. Like I might realize I need something, but the value is not that compelling. It seems kind of risky. And those things will jam me up there and I'll never get off that. Um, as opposed to, you know, if, if I understand the value and I get that there's urgency and I get there's a cost of not solving it, I'll go to eval. Um, in evaluation, I don't know how to buy at the beginning. It's like my mother with a cell phone. If it's something you've never bought before, you don't even know what the features are you should be looking for, how you should evaluate. And so you don't know what's on the market. You don't know what the options are. In B2B, this is often a problem that people do not know how to evaluate and they get stuck in this stage for ages. What gets them out of it is they got to educate themselves on how to buy. Vendors can help them do that. Um, and sometimes you might say, you know what, all this stuff looks good, but not for me. 
And I just haven't found the thing that works for me or my business. And once I do, I'm going to buy one of those things. But so far, what all the stuff I see, too expensive, too difficult, too whatever. Buy stage is the same thing, right? I might be holding out for a thing to go on sale. I might be holding out to the end of quarter because I know I'm going to get a discount. Um, I kind of need to know why I should purchase now. Um, especially if it's something that I, you know, I don't feel this burning need to do it. Enjoy is really like, again, the thing that'll trip you up there is I never actually learn how to use the thing well enough to enjoy it. Um, and then things that can push me back is, you know, bad service, bad user experience, or just plain not using it because I can't figure it out. And then the renewal is, you know, I gotta, I gotta still feel like you're the best thing on the market. I gotta still feel like, oh, geez, I'm gonna die if you take this thing away from me. Um, and a lot of people drop out here because they're like, yeah, I used it, but you know, it just wasn't the value I thought I was gonna get, or, you know, something new came up and I think that thing is better. Yeah. You, for the startup marketing person, not only do you have to understand accelerators through this thing and fix friction points of this thing, depending on the maturity of your market, the bulk of your prospects you're going after may be sitting in one of these stages, and that totally impacts the kind of tactics you run at them. So if all your folks, if your thing is so new and so jazzy and so futuristic that nobody even knows they have a problem, then your folks are sitting over at the no need phase. And you know what you're marketing there? You're marketing the problem. You're not even marketing the solution. Your job is to convince them that they have a problem. You are literally the cheerleader for the freaking problem, which is really different than saying, oh, everybody's in the eval phase, and all I gotta do is show my shiny thing is better than someone else's shiny thing, right? Or people are in the need phase, and they're just like, I don't know, there's all these things, and your job is to get on the short list. So depending on how mature your market is, th th these three buckets, no need, need, eval, completely different tactics you're running in there, right? That you're not doing SEO on a thing that nobody's searching for. Right? There's no point in doing it. And so again, coming back to my cycle of marketing, meh, right? If you understand this, then your world of tactics just shrunk because you understand where your folks are getting jammed up in this process. And so you're surgically saying, okay, look, I get everybody jammed at the need phase and oh yeah, I also get them dropping out at the enjoy phase. So I gotta fix some stuff there and I gotta fix some stuff here and my campaigns are gonna look like this for these reasons. Coming back to my golf problem, <laughs> I actually end up, I've run a golf tournament twice now in my career, and I can tell you this with great force, and you could say April said this, golf tournament is an excellent um, buy stage tactic. So if you have a bunch of folks that are actively evaluating, but they're not quite over the finish line yet, you put two current customers in a foursome with two um, folks that are prospects and haven't closed yet, guaranteed you will drive business out of that thing. They'll be stuck in a golf cart drunk together for two hours. It actually works pretty good, especially if your um, total value of a deal is quite high. I did one of these at IBM. It was one of the best things I ever did. But if everybody's sitting over no need, the golf course thing is useless and stupid. So what I should have said to my VP that came up to me and said, hey, why aren't we running a golf tournament? is I should have explained this to him and said, look, we don't have any problem getting folks across the line and that's a buy tactic. My problem is front of the funnel and I'm not getting enough you know, marketing qualified leads in and oh, by the way, all our folks are in this need bucket and the golf tournament doesn't solve that problem for us. So anyway, that's the buying process. So summing this up in this slide, um, it, depending on where your folks are at, the kind of tactics you're running are different. So if I'm a no need need, I'm doing problem focused content. So I'm doing things like articles and blog posts and I'm showing them industry data and trend reports and curated content. They're like, dude, you don't know it, but you've got this problem, right? And I can't do it on my own site because nobody gives a shit about my site because they don't even know they have a problem. So why would they come to my site? So I have to go to the, where they are. So where I run the tactic is different. Um, and then the purpose of this, I can't even really uh, get their attention because they don't think they have a problem. So I better be entertaining <laughs> or super engaging because they don't even want to talk to me. They're like, don't talk to me. I don't have this problem. And this is where you get into a lot of this kind of super light, funny, 
you know, edutainment type stuff actually works pretty good here because you don't want to pay attention to me. You don't even have a problem. And the action I'm trying to drive there from a marketing perspective is I'm trying to get permission to market to you. So I'm trying to get you just intrigued enough that you're like, you know what? I should learn a bit about this. Maybe I do have this problem. I don't know. Maybe I'll sign up to your newsletter. Maybe I'll follow you on social, you know, and that's what you're trying to go to because you're not selling them. They don't even, they're, they're, they're miles away from being ready to buy. In the next part, you've got folks jammed up at the eval buy stage. And that's different. That's where you can actually start selling them your stuff, right? So your content can now be focused on your solution. So you're writing things about why our thing is better than the other person's thing. And you're doing ROI calculators and case studies and solution focused stuff. And, and you're gradually moving this stuff over to your turf because now these folks are actually doing an evaluation. They're thinking about buying, they're poking around your site. So I still got to be out where they are, but I'm gradually starting to do more stuff on my own turf. Um, and the, the, the purpose of your marketing there is more about education, differentiating you from everything else that's in the market. And I'm trying to get you to move to doing a trial, doing a proper evaluation, or just closing the deal. So the action I'm trying to drive in those tactics is I'm trying to get permission to sell you. So I want your contact information. I want you to sign up for a trial. I want you to buy. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. It's different than what we were doing if you were jammed up at no need or need. Then the, then the next one is, because we're all in SaaS businesses, right? So I, I got you to buy, but I haven't made any money off you yet unless you keep buying for the next three years. So I can't leave you alone at this point. I still have to worry about you. And so I now get to this, you know, if I got folks that are dropping out on me at the, you know, enjoy, renew stage, you know, now I've got things that are um, best practices, uh, tips and tricks, uh, you know, user guides, things that are helping people get the juice out of what I sold them so that they don't move. And oh, by the way, they better understand the juice because they might, they might decide that my juice isn't as juicy as, you know, my competitors who are popping out of the woodwork all over the place trying to steal these folks away. And one of the advantages I have at this point, because I have closed you, is I can do this on my turf. I can do this in my newsletter, in my user group, in my forums, and stuff that I control. I'm still doing things outside probably, but I can really do a lot of this, enjoy, renew stuff over in my land. Um, purpose of this marketing is to get folks to experience the value, create raging, raving fans, get folks to recommend you. Uh, and I'm, and the action I'm trying to drive is, uh, renewals primarily and also referrals. Good, good. We're good. Okay. Um, uh, so that's kind of the thing. And so, um, then, you know, I've got, so, okay, so I know what's so great about my thing. That's my one input. I know what my ideal customer looks like. I got that. And I get the whole where they're getting jammed up in their buying process. So now I got those things as inputs. And so now I can sit back and say, all right, now I can build a marketing plan because it makes sense now. So I'm like, I'm trying to get to these people and teach them these things about my thing and what's the best way to do that? And it frequently looks nothing at all like what your competitors are doing because your competitors are stupid and they're doing the cycle of marketing med thing and you're copying them. Terrible. So don't do that. And you, you need to just forget about that. And it also makes you 10,000 times smarter with your boss because you're gonna go to your boss and your boss is gonna say, why not run a golf tournament here? And you're going to say, cause this, and you're going to blow his little mind with how much you know about all this stuff and, you know, and defend yourself intelligently. Now, the next thing you do is you build this campaign plan and you say, look, dude, but my budget needs to look like this because I'm running these tactics for these reasons. Here's my calendar. Here's all the actions and assignments I've got. Here's my bottom-up ROI plan. I'm going to run this thing. I expect to close this many deals. That's going to contribute this much revenue and you end up with this big fancy spreadsheet of glory that base or however you want to track it. I'm old, right? So I, I do this on spreadsheet, but uh, you know, and, and then, and then you've got this whole thing where you can basically say, and then if your boss says, okay, fine, uh, let's do a golf tournament instead. You say, okay, 
I'm bringing up the spreadsheet here. Which of these things am I going to stop doing? Because I know what they run. And let me tell you, uh, that thing that you're proposing is only going to impact my funnel in this spot, which, by the way, we already have a 90% close rate. So mm, you tell me why we're doing the golf problem. You tell me your reasoning for golf. Right. And, you, and you come back with that. So you figure out your metrics. So you're trying to, your metrics should be tracking how folks are flowing through this buying process. Again, so you can figure out where they're getting, where the friction is and they're getting jammed up. And then when you're done running a bunch of camp, a bunch of tactics, you got to take the big step back and say, okay, this is what I thought I knew about my product. This is what I thought I knew about my customers. This is what I'm assuming I know about the buying process. I ran all these things. If it fails, that's a disaster, right? Because it means that you assumed something that was incorrect and it is potentially impacting you everywhere. So it ends up looking like this, right? You have this little thing. So let me give you an example of this. So I work for this startup. We got acquired by this big fancy company in the Valley. And, and the startup, by the way, I was working for is this dinky little thing in Canada. And we had this tiny little team. And, uh, and, and we get acquired by this big fancy startup in the Valley. And, uh, and because I had worked at IBM previously and these guys liked IBMers, they put me in charge of marketing of this great big division. So all of a sudden I go from having like four or five people and I'm responsible for 800 million revenue in my division. And I got this big fancy budget and I got this great big team. And so, uh, so the plan was, uh, I, so I inherit this tactical plan. And the tactical plan is here's all the stuff we're running. And so my first week on the job, I get this new fancy job and I get the spreadsheet together and basically all my tactics are failing. Like across, and they're not mine. I didn't pick these things. I inherited this, but I inherited this marketing plan and everything sucks. And so I got to have this week, weekly meeting with my boss and, and there's five of us and I, and, and we each run marketing for a division. And so mine's 800 million and the next biggest one is 500 million and then whatever. So I'm the big one. And my boss, Bruce says, Hey April, how's everything going? And I'm like, it's shit, Bruce. Like everything, nothing's reaching the targets. It's bad. And he says, why is it so bad? And I said, I don't know. I've only been here a week. I haven't figured it out yet. Then he goes to the next person in the room and, and they say the same thing. You say, uh, you know, how's it going? And they're like, Bruce, it's going bad. And they, and Bruce says, well, why? And they said, it's economy. Economy's bad. And it's true. We were in the middle of a recession. And said, and nobody's buying anymore. And, uh, and the targets are bad. So we need to adjust the targets down and the economy's bad. And so there's five of us in the room and the other four all said economy, 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 economy. So this goes on every week for like four weeks and every week I go in and I'm like, it's bad. I don't know why <laughs> it's bad. I don't know why. And so finally I'm starting to freak out because I don't know, maybe it is the economy. I can't find anything that's broken. I'm fixing messaging. I'm tweaking tactics. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Everything fails. So finally, um, I, uh, I'm looking for bright spots which is always a good thing to do. So I'm looking for stuff that works and I'm like, what works that I could do more of that works. So I find this thing. So I have this inside sales team. And so the way my funnel works is I, we're selling to CIOs, chief information officers, like tech guys. And so I got all these campaigns running and these generate a bunch of leads. And so a lead is a CIO that might potentially want what we were selling at the time was CRM. So I got a CIO that might potentially want some CRM. And so then that goes to my inside sales team and my inside sales team would then call that person and, and try to qualify them and qualifying them is like book a meeting with a sales rep. So, uh, so I got seven or eight inside salespeople and none of them are making their targets except one guy, Joey, Joey is blowing his number away. Joey's doing great. Everybody else sucks. Joey's amazing. So I'm like, I'm going to go down there and see what's going on with Joey. So I go down there on a different floor. I go down another floor and I'm like, Hey, I'm new here. I'm April. Yeah. And it's, I go down there about 10 o'clock and Joey's not even in. So all the other guys are in. So I'm like, I'm going to listen to you guys do calls. So the calls all go like this. They call out, they get the CIO and they say, Hey, uh, you know, we'd like to come in and talk to you about our great 
CRM, it's good for tracking your revenue or whatever. And the CIO says, dude, like the, the economy's a shambles. Uh, my budget's been all clawed back. I'm not buying any new software for two years. I'm barely keeping the lights on in here. And then that's the end of the call. And so I sit in every single call where they manage to get through to somebody goes like this, 1130, Joey rolls in. Joey and Joey, Joey's hilarious. <laughs> Joey comes in. He looks like a bum. He gets his he gets his feet up on the desk. He's like, "Yeah, I'm Joey," and and he's and he's I suspect he's high. I'm pretty sure. And see, he comes rolling in and he's like, "Yo, boss lady," right? And I'm like, "Oh, here's Joey blowing his number." I'm like, "I can't wait to see what this is." So and so I'm like, "Hey, Joey, I'm gonna listen to on calls with you." He's like, "Sure, no problem." So we get on the call and Joey does this. Gets on the phone, CIO. He doesn't even ask the guy a question. He gets on the phone. He says, hey, 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 CIO, economy sucks, right? Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Sucks. Bet your, mar bet your budget's all gone. Yeah, budget's all gone. Bet you're not buying any software. Nope, not buying any software. And he goes, hmm. Bet your VP sales has got some money, right? Bet all your budget went to him, didn't it? CIO says, yeah, yeah, that guy's, that guy's doing some stuff over there. I don't know. He keeps me out of it. He says, yeah. Who's that guy? What's his name? Guy tells him, you should transfer me over there. Transfer me over there. I'll tell him he needs to give the budget back to you. You transfer me over there. Okay. CIO transfers him over to the VP sales. Then he gets to the VP sales, new Joey. New Joey. All of a sudden, Joey's like, <laughs> VP sales. Economy sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Bet you wish you were tracking your uh, pipeline better, right? Bet you had more predictability in your pipeline. Your boss on your case, right? Not making your number. You know what you need? You need some CRM software. And then he sells them on pipeline tracking stuff. And I'm sitting there, blah, 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 books the meeting. It's off the phone. Now let that sink in for a minute. I got 800 million revenue. I got, I don't know how much money I was spending on campaigns, tens of billions. <laughs> Driving leads to a department that is no longer my buyer. It's a disaster, it's a disaster, <laughs> right? So, so what I have is a fundamental flaw in my assumptions about my ideal target buyer. So then I go into the meeting the next week with Bruce. I'm like, hey, Bruce. He's like, Bruce, uh, he's like, April, hey, how's everything? I'm like, it's shit. He's like, why? And I'm like, well, because <laughs> we're selling the wrong folks. And he's like, that can't be true. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you about Joey. So I tell him the story about Joey. And, and, and it's like, I have no content for that buyer. I have no campaigns running at that buyer. I don't have a list. I got a giant list. Like this is a huge company. I got a giant list. My sales folks don't know how to sell to that buyer. I don't have a demo for that buyer. I'm not doing any events that talk to that buyer. Nothing. I have to rip and replace the entire system if I want to go hit that buyer. And we literally couldn't do it. Like it was company killing. And we never managed to, even though like, at, you know, at one point, I think it managed to convince a certain, you know, segment of folks on the executive team that this shift had happened. But so this is what I mean by this cycle. You get to the end and you're like, okay, now I got to check my assumptions. Like, so if something failed mm. it, it, and you understood who you were selling to and why they should want to buy your thing, and what their buying process is, if it fails, it's a disaster. And you need to get down to the root cause of, it means you think you know something that you don't, and it's probably impacting all your campaigns, not just that one. So that's my advice on that. And anyways, that's my whole, that's my whole bit. That's the whole marketing system bit, I think. Yeah, that's it. That's I like how end. you say that's all, as if this was like super simple and... <laughs> <laughs> Stop, problem solved. <laughs> to do all that stuff. <laughs> but this is why it's hard, right? Like everyone thinks, oh, you know, this marketing stuff, it's so easy. It's not, right? Look at all the stuff you got to know. Yeah. Right? Look at all the stuff you got to know. And you don't even know how you're going to figure that out. And, and it's all the stuff they don't teach you, right? Because you show up and they're just like, hey, I run some blog or something. Everybody yeah. else is blogging right. and that seems to be working for them, right? <laughs> and and. And, and you come in and you think, geez, I must be stupid. Like everybody else is running a blog and it, and it works for them. And my blog sucks. And the reality is it sucks for them too. You just don't know. Like you don't know what their one or two things are that are actually working. You don't know. And then their customers are different. Their solution is different. The buying process is different. All that stuff different. I love the marketing fashion. <laughs> so, so true. It's like Facebook ads. Like, like that's all. Right. 
account-based marketing. That's what we're doing now. Yeah. ABM, man. Yeah. Yeah. We're all doing that. Right. And, and ABM like cracks me up because like, I love ABM. I got but, but I mean, I've, I've literally been doing ABM for like 20 years. I mean, maybe not so smart, but, um, but you know, concept of ABM is not new. Like we've been doing that in B2B forever. Yep. Yeah. That's true. It is. But this fashion thing, it's it's hard to not get caught up in it. Right. I see startups right now. They're like, we have to have a blog. And I'm like, that's who. Oh, and then they'll tell me, oh, we're selling to banks. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you don't have to have a blog. (laughs) Maybe there's some other things you could do first. (laughs) (laughs) Or a podcast or a A podcast. Is it podcast is the thing now. Everybody wants, I want to do a podcast. I'm actually jealous of all the podcast people. I'm, I feel like I should just have one, but yeah, it, you you know, and, 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 way, and there's should. lots of, yeah, I should, I should totally have a podcast. I did yeah. great on podcast. So, but, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's all these things. And like earlier we were talking about, you know, my, my particularly lame web presence right now. And I, and I have people mock me. They're like, Oh my God, look at your website. It's terrible. You're a marketer. And I'm like, but that's not how I get my business. It's not how I get my business. All my business comes from referrals. Yep. Yeah. And, and if it was, you know, if it was hurt me, it, it hurts me personally. It hurts my ego that my site is not awesome right now and I'm committing to fixing it, but uh, it, it hasn't hurt my business. It hasn't hurt my business. Mm-hmm. And so if it did, I'd have to fix it. <laughs> I have a question about something that you um, brought up about the, the buying process, which um, we tend to talk a lot about as like the customer journey or whatever. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Um, if you were starting out at a, at a startup that is relatively new or like um, maybe doesn't have a bunch of customers, existing customers to go to, to, to get on the phone with. Yeah. Where would you focus in that? Buying yeah. Process? And that's quite common, right? So you, yeah. so you get in the new, the new startup and there's like four customers and, and they're all completely different. And, and you're like, I don't know. Um, a lot of the times you, you have to just make a hypothesis and then test it by doing some calls. So, you know, and you can usually start with the product, interestingly, right? So you say, okay, what's our real competitive advantage here? And then make a hypothesis about what kind of customers really give a crap about that. And then, and then say, okay, well, if you were like this, you probably think this is really cool. And then say, okay, let's call some of those people and talk to them and see if that's true. Um, and, and then the, the bit about the buying process that you're trying to figure out is, um, you know, where are they? So do they already know they've got a problem? Or are they at the stage where they're like, yeah, I know I have a problem. It's just I can't fix it because there's no good solutions on the market for this, for people like me. Or are they like yeah, we're actively looking for solutions. And if we had one that could do X, Y, Z, it would be top of our list. And so you're trying to figure that out so that you know what kind of campaigns you need to run at them. Um, right. Often at a startup, like, like you want to be as close to buy as you can. So uh, because it's, it's the closer you are to buy, the less work you got to do. Like if they're over at no need, you got to convince them they have a problem and then you got to convince them they should fix it. And then you got to sell them something. Um, so sometimes what you want to do is you want to try to talk to a bunch of, you want to try to make some hypothesis on, is there a sub segment or a box I can draw around a sub segment of customers that they're really far ahead of the rest of the market. And right now I'm just going to sell to them mm-hmm. because they feel the pain the most, they get it, they do whatever. And once I'm done selling to them, I'll worry about selling to folks that are more over here on the, no, I don't have a problem side of the thing. And so what you'll get a lot in startups is people will talk about early adopters, which is a term that is totally misused. Um, but what you'll get sometimes is early adoption segments, right? So, you know, years and years ago when I was um, early in my career, I was selling enterprise software. And it's interesting, um, at the beginning, we had this theory that we would sell it to banks. Uh, But when we got talking to banks, it turned out it was really the investment banking department that cared the most. And so we were just going to sell to them. And then interestingly, you know, we were, our assumptions were always getting challenged. So we did a bunch of deals on Wall Street with US-based investment banks. 
And then we were like, well, how come we don't do any deals right in our backyard in Canada? And we tried to sell the Canadian investment banks and couldn't get anywhere. And it turned out the whole profile of these folks were different. Like um, the U.S. investment banks, um, the, the technical folks really understood uh, the power of technology to be a competitive differentiator. And so they were really, uh, they were big risk takers and they loved it if you were a startup because it meant, oh, we might have an edge over everybody else on Wall Street and we're going to get something that, that the other guys aren't going to get. And they were super secretive. They wouldn't let you use them as a reference and stuff because they, they really felt like we can get this secret sauce and we'll have this edge. Whereas the Canadian banks, it turns out, are completely the opposite. Like they, uh, we don't really have competition in Canada amongst the banks. And so the banks are just about not screwing up. So they don't touch software from startups at all. I mean, they say they do now, they're trying to get better at it. But uh, particularly back then, I mean, the first question was, how many, how many employees are you? And can we put your code in escrow? And we need a money back guarantee. And like, we just couldn't get anything going with a Canadian investment bank. Um, and then same thing, we went to other countries, like all, we had to keep re-challenging our assumptions on, um, you know, who is a good fit for us at the size of company we are. Once we got bigger, then yeah, then we could go talk to the Canadian banks and they were fine. But, um, you know, it's funny. So we just kind of made these assumptions, but then we had to constantly check in on that and say, is that really true? Are they really like that? Are they really good fit for us? And um you know, and, and sometimes we blew it. Like sometimes we were, we were convinced that something was true, but then when we actually, you know, got face to face across the desk with a customer, you're like, oops, nope. <laughs> Back to the drawing board on that one. Yeah. That's a good point though. Uh, early adopters versus the segments. It's very right. Hard. Right. Like sometimes people will just, will think this is a characteristic of human beings. Right. But in, in, in B2B, when you talk about early adopters, there's a reason they're early adopters. Right? right. And so you need to get at the reason. And the reason might be because they feel the pain acutely and it acutely impacts their business. Mm. It, it might be because, you know, just culturally within that segment, they're like that and they want to be seen as new and cool or whatever, right? You know, yeah. or it could be because their customers are like that and therefore it reflects back on them. Or it could be because they're in a not very regulated environment versus a regulated environment where you can't be quite so free and easy. So, you know, it's, I find in startups, we have this concept of us as individuals being early adopters or not, but in B2B, that goes out the window. Like you're early adopter for a reason and what matters is the reason right? Not the fact that you're early adopters. Why are you an early adopter? Because I need to understand that in order to be able to run a campaign at people like you. Right. April, you're working on a book about this too, right? My, uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> like, yeah, so yeah, sort of about this and, yeah, and sort of. yeah, sort of I'm writing a book. Um, so I'm writing a, I'm writing a book about positioning, which, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, you're going to be a leader at something that a target market cares a lot about as fundamentally what positioning is. And so this concept of how do you actually figure that out is super interesting to me. And so for years I've been writing this book, but um, I, uh, I am hoping to get this book out in the next year and I'm actually in the middle of edits on it. Um, so that's what the book is going to be about. So it's not so much about this systems thing, although a lot of my thinking about positioning feeds into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Book. So this I is why I don't blog. I always like to say this. This is why I don't blog. It's been spending all my time writing this stupid book. But, uh, <laughs> I said, once the book is done, oh my God, the blog posts are going to flow, flow. There's going to be, ooh, the content is just going to come springing out of me. I actually have this like list of like blog posts I want to write, but I'm not writing because I'm writing my stupid book. And, and it's like, and it's like pages long. It's like blog post ideas. In the, in the parking lot. Uh, well, like someday. you say, your, your business doesn't come from there, right? So no, it doesn't, but I love blogging. I actually, right. I actually miss blogging. I actually miss blogging. And sometimes I think I should podcast because it might be easier and, yeah. and I won't feel like it takes away from my, my uh, blogging, my book writing time. But no, the problem is the book. The, the problem is the book and I need to, it is the point of friction in my own personal funnel right now is that <laughs> book. And I need to remove that point of friction by moving the thing to the done pile and getting on with my life. <laughs> 
Well, I know you said you're not thrilled with your own website in the state that it's in right now, which is fine because there's a yeah, book. Yeah, but go there, go there anyway. <laughs> now that I've intrigued you yeah. with the crappiness We're going to tell and people to go there. By all means, send me an email yeah. and tell me how to improve it. Everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell people to do that and we'll tell people to go find you on Twitter if they want to talk mm-hmm. to you more immediately. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can follow me on Twitter, all that stuff. I'm April Dunford on all the social medias, but I'm not as active on social as I used to be. I don't know. You're on Twitter. You're still Yeah, on. I kind of backed off Twitter. There was a there was a couple of years there I was just like, eh. And then now I'm sort of, you know, my mission on Twitter is to spread joy. So I've actually I actually yeah. made a conscious decision that I was gonna stop complaining about stuff on Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm gonna attempt to stop complaining about stuff on Twitter. I still do once in a while because I can't help myself, but I'm trying to spread joy. So I'm all like you know, cute puppies and, you know, smart aleck comments. I'm trying to be a source of joy on Twitter because I think it's needed. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, April, thank you so much for running through this system. I cannot tell you how many people I'm going to force to go watch this. <laughs> ah, uh, yeah, and people can, you know, you can, uh, like, if, if people have questions, you can uh, ask me. I don't know if I can answer them. My, my, um, my email is terrible. And so it's, I'm really bad on email. But if you tweet at me, I'm pretty good at responding. Because I do that when I'm, you know, on the subway on the way home. That is true. We can confirm that, actually. Yeah, it's true. So, we're pushing people toward Twitter. If you want to talk to April mm-hmm. in relatively real time, go to Twitter. Yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. We'll wrap up and let you get on with what we know is a busy day. Um, sure. And to those who are watching uh, and like me taking notes, um, thank you guys for being here as well. So I think we can call it. We'll wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye, Bye everyone. Thanks for having me. Bye.